0: 1996 until 2006, the University of Michigan Wolverine football team dominated their in-state rivals, Michigan State University. They won nine out of 11 football contests with them. And in 2007, Michigan State had hired a brand new coach, Mark D'Antonio. In the game in 2007, Michigan State had been leading Michigan almost the entire game, and ha- in fact, actually had quite a large lead moving into the third quarter. But in the fourth quarter, Michigan came back scoring a couple of touchdowns to snatch victory from the jaws of defeat. And that's when the infamous post game interview with Michigan running back Mike Hart happened. Listen to the quote that he gave. It's amazing. Sometimes you get your little brother excited when you're playing basketball and let him get the lead. Then you just come and take it back. (laughs) little brother. Needless to say, neither coach Mark D'Antonio for Michigan State nor the football team nor its huge fan base took to that kindly. In fact, D'Antonio said, Mark my words, it's not over. Just remember, pride comes before the fall. And unfortunately for me, a Michigan fan, Michigan State was right. They wound up beating, destroying Michigan six out of the next seven years. 2015, though, comes along, and we at Michigan had just hired our new head coach, Jim Harbaugh. We were so excited. Even though Michigan State was ranked higher than us in the polls, we actually came out of the gates in that game and were winning from the very beginning. It was amazing. In fact, quarter one, quarter two, quarter three, quarter four, we we're ahead the entire time. Michigan State never has the lead. We're literally up 23 to 21 with only a few seconds left on the clock, and we've got the ball. All we have to do is punt the ball away, and we've sealed the game another victory. Michigan State fans, their players, their coach, they were dejected. They were upset. They were frustrated. They thought it was over, and that's when the unbelievable happened. This poor guy's gotten turned into a meme all over the place. Because when the snapper snapped the ball to the punter, the punter accidentally fumbled it, tried to pick it up and kick it, was tackled, where he threw the ball kind of up in the air. A Michigan State player grabbed the ball. Jalen Watts Jackson ran it back 40-some yards and actually scored the winning touchdown for Michigan State with no time left on the clock, literally not for one single second of the entire four quarters was Michigan State ahead, and they still somehow managed to win the game. Now, if you're a Michigan fan like me, this is not a very good opening illustration for Easter. (laughs) But if you're a Michigan State fan, you couldn't have a better opening illustration, right? Because when you thought it was over, your team was dead. There was no coming back. Somehow, unbelievably, you win. Now, I don't know about you, but Easter has not felt like Easter for me. Uh, I normally love the Easter season. I love it because we are actually moving out of winter, spring is starting, things that felt dead are now coming back to life. It's lighter, later. But this virus, like, if we're honest with ourselves, like it feels like a, a, a wet blanket has just been dropped on us and it sits heavy on our souls. We we can't we, we can't function the way that we were functioning. We're all feeling stress and and anxiety and we're trying to dr- juggle so many different things. Uh, I told you guys a couple weeks ago, I've been having some stress dreams. Like I'm not normally a stressed out person. Normally I'm a pretty chill dude, but I've been kind of experiencing these stress dreams where there's something I'm supposed to get done, something I'm supposed to do, and, and time's running out, and I don't know if I can get to it, and, and I wake up and I, and I don't feel as rested as I normally do. I know a lot of you are experiencing the same things. Uh, a number of folks mental health struggles like our brains aren't producing the chemicals that they normally do and, and we're feeling it we're all feeling it and, and and we begin to ask the what if questions right now, maybe we're not asking them out loud but we're asking them inside our heads we're asking all of these what if questions and what if questions are pretty scary what if i lose my job what if i lose my house or my car or my credit what if the economy doesn't come back what if my marriage is in worse shape than I actually realize? What if I start drinking again or using again? What, what if someone I love gets sick and dies? What, what if I get sick and die? These are things that we worry about, things that produce anxiety. Why we have stress dreams. Why, why we don't sleep as well or maybe are starting to feel more depressed or, or, or anxious. And what if questions, those are just hypotheticals right? Those are just hypothetical questions. There's other questions that I think that we're asking as well. Uh, What ifs are scary, but what now questions? Those questions are way more scary. What now? I lost my job. What now? I've got bills, but not enough income. What now? I lost my retirement. What now? My marriage is broken. What now? I'm sick, and it doesn't seem to be getting better. What now? Uh, You see, what now questions aren't hypothetical, they're intensely personal. And how we answer the what now question defines and dictates our future. Now, I'm not generally a morose person, right? Like I I don't think about like pessimistic things or the dark things, like that's not usually where my brain goes. I tend to be more like half glasses, half full, right? I'm an optimist, generally speaking. But even I can't help asking the what if and the what now questions. I think we all are. And sometimes it's not even like we're saying it out loud. Sometimes we're not even asking them in our head. They're subconsciously being asked. Like we find ourselves daydreaming about these things. What would I do? What if? What what am I going to do now? And the what now questions, I think, are exactly the kind of questions that Jesus' followers were asking some 2,000 years ago at this very same time. I mean, what now? If you have your Bibles, I'd love you to open up to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. We start in verse 44. And it says, It was about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. So this is Friday. Jesus has been nailed to the cross. He is currently being crucified and is dying. says in verse 45, the sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. This was actually a curtain that separated in the temple there in Jerusalem uh, folks from the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies is where God's specific presence dwelt. And you couldn't go into God's presence without dying. And so this curtain was there to keep people or even the the priests from going in there. Only a high priest could go in there and only once a year. And at this point, the curtain is torn in two because God says my presence will no longer be held by one place because of what Christ is doing and has done. Verse 46, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last breath. The centurion And they're asking the what now question. In fact, people who weren't even followers really of Jesus, but were just casual observers of what was going on, are watching this happen and they see Jesus die. And it says that they begin to beat their breasts like they know something's not right. What now? Uh, His followers are asking the same question. What now? What am I supposed to do now? Jesus is dead. Flip over to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. We're going to read verses one through two. It says, early on the first day of the week, so this is now Sunday, Easter morning. While it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, this is the disciple John, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Mary Magdalene was a woman whom Jesus had transformed her life, and she had become a follower of his, and she just wanted to go with some of the other women who had been followers of Jesus to the tomb to put some spices on the dead body. It was just a proper way to bury him. They couldn't do it Friday because he had died late in the day, and so when they buried him, they weren't able to get to that. They couldn't do it on Saturday because that was the Sabbath. Jesus is still lying dead in there. They have to wait until Sunday morning. And they're still distraught and devastated. What now? The one we've been following, the one that we thought was the Messiah, he's dead. And they show up, and the body isn't there. Now, at this point, they don't think Jesus has been raised from the dead, even though he had been talking about that. At this point, they think somebody's taken his body. So they run, and they tell some of the other disciples, and they're like, what now? What do we do? And uh, if I'm a disciple... I'm asking the same question, especially his apostles. Flip over with me just a few verses down in John chapter 20, and we're going to read the beginning of verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, so this is the same day, just later in the evening, this is the first Easter, later in the evening, the disciples are together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. They're still in Jerusalem. This has been two days. Jesus died on Friday. He's dead on Saturday. It's now Easter Sunday. And as far as they're concerned, Jesus is still dead. They don't know any different. And they're freaking out. They're afraid. I mean, they've given their entire lives to following Jesus. For the last three years, they followed him everywhere that he went. They listened to his stories. They saw him heal people. They saw all these unbelievable things. They said, we believe you're the Messiah. And then Jesus is dead. And everything's thrown up. What now for them? Chaos in their lives. What now? And so they're hiding because they're afraid. They're quarantined, literally in a house. No joke. And they're asking the question, what now? I gave everything to Jesus. I I went all in on Jesus, and now I'm not sure what to do. Um, If you've been doing anything on social media, or watching any TV over the last month, I guarantee that you've seen a meme or heard something about Tiger King, right? The Netflix documentary. Don't worry, I'm not going to talk about it. Uh, The show exactly, I want to tell you one of my favorite big cat stories. This is a true story. Literally happened back in 2004. It's a group of American tourists who were in South Africa at Kruger National Park and they were uh, on safari with a South African guide and they're in one of those big jeeps. It's got like the open tops and they're at a watering hole. The reason that they're at a watering hole is because animals often come to the watering hole, so that's where you see animals. The other reason that they happen to be there is because there was a pride of lions who had showed up at the watering hole. Now, a lot of times, people assume if you go on safari in Africa that you're going to see lions and everything, like all the big five. But that's not true. Most of the time that you go on safari, you don't see lions in the wild. So this was like a huge deal. So they're kind of camped out like because you're actually seeing lions. It's amazing. They're taking video. And, and then, then it starts to get crazy. Uh, there's a herd of water buffalo right there's this there's this watering hole the lions are over here kind of just laying down in this tall grass and sand and this huge herd of water buffalo start coming up well at the front of the pack of the water buffalo there are uh, three buffalo uh, one is a male one is a female and she's got a little baby with her and they're just bloom, 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 bloom. they're just walking up right and you can start to see the people like, oh, oh my goodness, there's these water buffalo. Oh, there's a baby. And these three happen to be way out in front. There's like a whole herd of water buffalo don't know, like 200 of them. But these three are like way in front, like maybe 50, 75 yards in front. And they're just kind of tromping along. And all of a sudden you start to see the lions. The lions start to like notice. And they start to crouch down. And you can hear the people. They're like, oh, look, they're, they're coming. And, and, and the, and the The South African guy is like, "Whoa, look! I've not. This is this is this is very interesting." So the lions they start to crouch, and you can just see him getting into battle ready format you know what i'm saying like you know what i'm talking about right like their their shoulders start to just ripple with muscles their backs get tense and taut and they're just laying there sitting there motionless waiting to pounce now there's this one big bull he's in front of the mother and the little baby and he's just and he gets about 20 feet away no joke 20 feet away and all of a sudden he just kind of stops and he throws his head up in the air and you can see him kind of start sniffing and doing this and the lions are just motionless. He takes one more step forward. The mother and baby walk right up to his backside, and all of a sudden, the lions pounce. You ever seen a lion go into, like, hunt mode? All right? At first, they're, like, crouch, right? And then all of a sudden, they're, like, raw, whoosh, rawr, whoosh, right? Rawr, whoosh. Now, the, the big bull, buffalo, he runs off. The mom's right on his tail there. Boom, they are gone. But the little calf, she can't run that fast. And she's like doing like this and trying to get away. And the lion's, and you can hear the people like, oh no, they're going after the baby. They're going to get the baby. There's like a couple ladies that are just like almost in tears as they're watching this unfold. The lion's going, whoosh, God! whoosh, God!" There's six of them in pursuit. All of a sudden, the lead one jumps out. It's almost like slow motion. Right, You see the arms go up and like Freddy Krueger claws come out and then she bites in, grabs a hold of the back of this little baby who's been trying to run, and it knocks it down into the water. The little baby is half in the water. The lions come and surround it, and you can hear the people, oh, no, they got him. They got him. And the guy's like, oh, I've never seen anything like this before. This is unbelievable. It's It's unbelievable. And they got the baby. You got one lion that's on the throat. You got another lion that's like hanging off the side of the neck. Another lion that's got the, got the animal, the, the little baby buffalo on the leg. Half of his body's down in the watering hole and half of his on the bank. And just when you think it can't get any crazier, in Tiger King style, <laughs> out of nowhere, two huge crocodiles raise up. No, I'm not even joking. You can look this thing up online later. You will see this video. This is exactly how it happens. Two crocodiles come up and they come in and land right. They smash down on the, on the legs of the little baby buffalo. Now there's literally a tug of war that's taking place. No joke. The lions are like, and they're trying to like pull the thing up on, uh, onto the shore. And, and the crocodiles are like, clamped on to the back of this little uh, baby buffalo. And, and the thing's like, and you can see the tails are, are, are and they're playing tug of war. The people are going crazy. Oh, oh, look what they're doing to the baby. Look what they're doing. And, and they, finally, the, they finally pull the lion's win. They pull it up onto shore. The crocodile goes back into the water. And you can hear the South African guide say, oh, the lions have won. The lions, the lions have won. And the lions have the little baby surrounded, and he's now laying on the ground and he doesn't seem to be moving. And then you hear the guide say, Oh, look, the buffalo are coming, coming back for him. But they're too late. They're too late. <laughs> too late. They're too late. In fact, you can hear all of the American tourists saying the exact same thing. Oh, they're too late. They're too late. I'm sure that's exactly how all of Jesus' disciples felt as well. Like, it's too late. Like, like, this is the what now moment, right? This isn't a what if anymore. This is a what now moment. And, and, and all of the disciples, I'm sure are feel, that's why they're locked in a house, because they're afraid. And they're saying, what now? What am I supposed to do now? Like, I've given my life to Jesus I, 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 I've done everything that I'm supposed to do. And, and quite honestly, everything had been going great for them, right? I mean, like, less than a week ago, everybody's, like, wanting to be Jesus' father. They want to make him king. The disciples, like, have hitched themselves to Jesus, and everything had been great. Like, he's healing folks. He's caring for people. He's loving the outcast. He's standing up for justice and righteousness. He speaks with power, both truth and yet also grace. He is filled with love, and it shows in everything that he does. And everybody had been starting to want to go towards him, to follow him. And then, out of nowhere, you get this sense, something's not right. And within just a few short hours... Jesus is betrayed. Jesus is abandoned. Jesus is sentenced. He is crucified. He is murdered. And his cold, dead, lifeless body is wrapped up and put in a stone tomb, and a huge stone is rolled over the entrance And the disciples are saying, what now? And and maybe, maybe you feel that way a little bit. Maybe that feels like, oh, that's kind of extreme for me. Maybe that's a little too much for me. But maybe not. Maybe this whole season of this COVID-19 coming in and and completely disrupting our lives uh, has brought up stuff. Not not just things with the, the virus, but but just frustrations. Maybe you've been trying for a really long time to get things together, and, and it doesn't seem to matter what you're doing, it, it doesn't work. Maybe you feel like the lions have won in your life too, that the lions have come and, and, and they've won. It's, it's too late. It's over. Maybe it feels like you've been attacked by lions. Maybe it feels like it's the lions of a difficult life. Like... Like what you had growing up. Maybe it was a dad who left. Maybe it was a mom who was just really difficult. Maybe it was something that happened to you when you were young and you've never been able to get over it. The lions of a really hard life. Maybe it's the lions of some really poor choices that you made. And you're experiencing some consequences. And maybe it feels unfair. Like, man, these consequences, they haven't gone away. Like, I'm not that person anymore. I'm not that woman anymore. I'm not that guy anymore. But these are still following me around. And it just kind of feels like life has just been a pack of lions that's kind of devoured so many pieces. May, maybe it is this virus, and, and right now you're just really hurting. You're not sure how you're going to dig out of this financial hole, and it feels like it's over. It, it, feels like, it feels like maybe it's too late. Like, is there really a second chance? Can, can you really have a new beginning? Is it, is it too late? Maybe that's the question that you're actually asking. Maybe today is your what now moment. Does it feel like it's too late? If it does, this is exactly why Easter is so unbelievably important. Uh, That's what everybody believed about the little baby water buffalo. The lions had one. It was too late. They're surrounded, six lions. Literally, there's one on its throat. There's another one on the kind of side of its kind of, Head, face, neck area, another one's got it, and the baby calf is laying there, surrounded by these six lines, and it's not moving. And then you hear the South African guide again say, "Oh look, the water buffalo are coming. And then you hear again, the two are saying, "But it's too late, it's too late. They can't do anything. Well, the buffalo, they come rolling in deep, like I'm just telling you, like, it's a sea, a wall of just black, huge hooves and horns. And they are literally like making a curtain. And they start just rolling up, boy, Woo! rolling up, like 200 of them bad boys. And they start coming up. You can see the lions. The lions are starting to freak out a little bit. The lions are like ah, starting to show their teeth. And you can see them kind of getting back into that crouch position. And as they roll up, one of the lions is like, yo, this is too much. And so it literally it just runs off. There's five left. As they roll up, one of the water buffalo kind of runs in at the lions. Another lion peels off, runs away. And this is when the unbelievable begins to happen. Another water buffalo, big old dude, he comes running up in, puts his head down, and he actually hooks one of the lions with his horn and throws it up in the air. No joke. I'm not even playing. You can watch this on the video. Throws the lion. The lion's like, ah! a glance, and that lion's like, oh boy, I'm out of here, I'm out. Now the buffalo, the herd, they're feeling strong, and so they just start, they're rolling up, there's now two lions left, another one's peeled off, there's two lions trying to hold, and the, and the buffalo's still laying on the ground, the little baby, but all of a sudden, the unbelievable happens, and the buffalo, the little baby, she starts to kick, Trying to struggle to her feet, and now the water buffalo they like walk right up on it. The two remaining lions back off. The water buffalo baby stands back up to its feet and walks into the protection of the herd. And the other two lions run away. Friends, that is crazy. The unbelievable happens, and I love because the South African guy he says, Oh, I've never seen anything like this before. I've never seen it. I, I think I just sounded like Steve Irwin there. He's not Australian, he's South African, but you get my point, right? You understand? I've never seen anything like this before. The unbelievable actually happens. Flip over to John chapter 20. I want to continue reading in that passage starting in verse 11. You see, the unbelievable is about to happen now in the lives of the disciples the followers of Jesus, the apostles. Verse 11, it says, Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and one at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking that he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, please tell me where you have put him, and I'll get him. And Jesus said to her, he he literally just speaks her name, Mary. Mary. (laughs) she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. It's actually a term of endearment, a term of love, a term of respect. And she actually, at that moment, when she realizes it's him, she turns towards him, she just runs and jumps into his arms. She can't let him go. She's holding on. In fact, Jesus has to say, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them that I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene finally lets go and went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Mary Magdalene meets the risen Jesus and she can't believe her eyes. The unbelievable becomes believable because she throws her arms around him. Keep reading with me. On the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Now flip over to, uh, I want to pick the story up in Luke 23 where we were reading. It's the exact same story, and Luke gives us some uh, fun details here. Luke chapter 23, starting in verse 36. Oh, excuse me, Luke 24, 36, my bad. Luke 24, 36 says, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. So we were picking up the story again. They were startled and frightened, thinking that they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Which, man, that, that feels like a, Like a little bit of an unfair question, right? (laughs) Like they're freaking out, and all of a sudden Jesus, who they assume is dead, now instantly appears in the room miraculously. The unbelievable is now actually happening. And he's like, yo, why are you freaking out? Like the same reason that we're freaking out right now, and yet that question is still a fair question. Why are you troubled during COVID-19, and why do doubts rise in your mind? And then he says, look at my hands and my feet. It's I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost doesn't have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe uh, did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them. Now check that out. I love that statement. They still did not believe it because of the joy and amazement. It's almost like, this, is, this can't be. This can't be right. I mean, it's like what every Michigan State man would have been feeling when the fumble gets, uh, uh, the, the snap gets fumbled and, and they pick up the ball, they run in like, this can't be happening. It's unbelievable. The same thing that was happening with the tourists as they're watching this little baby buffalo that they think is dead, right? It's too late. The lions have won. And, and then it gets up and goes like, this is unbelievable. It can't be happening. The disciples feel the same way 2,000 years ago when they meet risen Jesus. They still didn't believe it because of joy and amazement. So then Jesus asked them, "Hey, you guys got anything to eat?" They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, "This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, in the prophets, and the psalms." Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, "This is what is written: The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. You are my witnesses. The unbelievable has happened. And now the disciples have a completely new what now question that they have to answer. They had been asking the what now, like Jesus is dead. Everything that I thought I knew, like uh, I don't know anymore. I'm not sure what to do. I'm afraid. But now they have met risen Jesus and there's a whole different what now, what now am I going to do? You know what those disciples did? They went back to Jerusalem, the place that they had been the most afraid of, to the temple in Jerusalem where they knew all of Jesus' enemies would be, where all the crowds are going to be, and they begin to start telling people about the risen Christ. They start to tell people that Jesus, what he said was true, and he's alive, and he is the Messiah. The very things that got Jesus killed that they were afraid were going to get them killed, now they're not afraid anymore. In fact, every single one except for one of them did wind up being a martyr for their faith. It didn't matter what you did to them, they wouldn't stop talking about Jesus. Why? Because they had experienced the reality of Jesus. They had experienced the truth of the resurrection. It wasn't just some idea. The reality caused them to ask a what now question. And remember what I said earlier? How we answer the what now question, that defines, that dictates our future. Now, if... Uh, If you've ever known the fear of Friday or the sadness of Saturday, especially if that's all you've ever known, then it's going to feel like your life is being devoured by a pack of lions. I mean, on on Friday and Saturday, that's, that's how the disciples felt. That's how the followers of Jesus felt. They felt like their lives were just simply being eaten up by a pack of lions. Everything they thought was true seemed to be like gone. The lions had won. And so all, if all you know is kind of like the fear of Friday and, and, and the sadness of Saturday, then, then that is what dictates your life. But if you can believe the unbelievable that Jesus actually died on the cross, was buried, but rose back to life three days later, that God's Son was crucified for you and raised back to life just as he promised, then you can live in the celebration of Sunday. If you can believe the unbelievable, then you can live in the celebration of Sunday. Fear and sadness no longer has to rule your life. I'm not saying that you never get anxious, that we never get sad, but the Lions don't win. The Lions don't win. Now, if you're a Detroit fan, you already know that that's a reality, but (laughs) ha ha ha, Look, friends. Easter is the yearly reminder that the lions don't win, that dead things that look like they are beyond hope, that they can't be revived, that there isn't another chance, that's when they get raised back to life. That's when new opportunities we're reminded are real and true and powerful and possible. Like that's why Easter matters so much in this season when we're feeling anxious and scared because of all that's going on and we don't know what's gonna happen and we've got these terrible what if questions and even worse, very personal, intensely personal what now questions, Jesus wants to enter into that and say, hey, if you will trust me, if you'll believe in me, if you will give yourself into my care, I'm gonna take care of you. Um, When we give our lives to Jesus, It doesn't mean that everything gets easier, okay? True story. The Bible doesn't promise that we're not going to still deal with the effects of this pandemic or the effects of this financial crisis. Quite honestly, there have been pandemics in the past. There's been financial crises in the past. And there's going to be pandemics in the future and financial crises in the future until Jesus comes and makes everything new again. It doesn't mean that we're not going to suffer. In fact, the Bible actually says we are going to suffer. But here's what I can tell you. It won't necessarily make your life easier, but it will absolutely 100% make your life better. And I'm not just saying this because I'm a pastor. I'm saying this because I've actually experienced it myself. Like, I know Jesus is alive. Uh, There's some things that God's Word does promise us. That even though we might not be spared from all suffering in this life, the Bible promises us that there is more to life than what we currently see. It promises us that we can have life and life to the full through faith in Jesus. It promises us that Jesus will return one day and make all things new and that we can actually start that all things new life now. Which actually brings us back to the what if and the what now question. What if Jesus was truly God who he said he was and actually rose from the grave. What does that mean for you? Uh, There's another scarier but real question. What if I happen to get the disease and die? Look, that's not something we like to talk about. It's not something I really ever think about. But death is coming for us all at some point. Hopefully not for any of us anytime soon. But we don't know that number of our days. God does, we don't. And so that what if question, what if I die? What am I going to say to God when I meet him? Uh, Even more than that, I think the real question we need to ask today is what now? What now am I going to do with what I've just heard? Am I actually going to believe? Am I actually going to say, Jesus, today's the day I want to give you my life? That's the real question. You see, when the disciples saw Jesus, when Mary saw Jesus, there was a whole new what now question, and that's the question that I think we all need to answer today, and so if you've never given your life to Jesus, I want to pray a prayer. And all the fear and anxiety, maybe the mistakes that you've made in the past, all the things that maybe have even happened to you that you're wrestling with, Jesus wants to walk into that space, into your life, into your fear and anxiety. He wants to forgive your sin, and he wants to become your leader. He wants to give you a new life. I'm not saying life's going to instantly become easy, but I will promise you that if you will continue to follow after Jesus, it will become better. You will have faith that you've never had before, hope that you've never had before. And so I just want to pray a prayer. And if you want to receive Jesus, if you want to ask him into your life, then you can just pray this right where you're at. You can pray it out loud. You can pray it in your head. God knows he's right there with you. Just pray this. Say, God, I believe. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and that he rose back to life just as he promised. Jesus, I invite you into my life. Forgive me for the wrongs that I've done, the sins that I've made, the ways that I've hurt people, the times that I have not cared about you. Forgive me for that. Make me clean. I give you permission to come in and begin to transform who I am, how I think, how I act, how I use my time. Jesus, I need you. I want to spend forever with you, God. This life is hard but I can't wait for the day that you return and make all things new or the day that that I get to be with you in paradise. Give me life today. Change me today. I give you permission. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Friend, wherever you're watching, whether you're at home here in West Michigan or in a different state or even a different country, uh, if you prayed that prayer to receive Christ, we, we wanna celebrate with you. Like, that's the greatest thing that we get to celebrate. We love celebrating. And not only that, but we want to we offer you encouragement and some ways that you can start growing in this relationship to understand what it means to follow Christ a little bit more. The more that we follow Christ, the more we begin to experience all the benefits that God has intended for us. And so what we'd love you to do is right now just grab your phone, pull your phone out, okay? We want you to just pull out an email, and I want you to write, uh, type in this and the address, hello, H-E-L-L-O, at localgr.org. So hello, at symbol, L-O-C-A-L-G-R, for Grand Rapids, dot org. Hello at localgr.org. And then in the subject line, just say, uh, I made the decision today. Put your name, uh, if you'll give us, well, we'll have your email, but if you'll give us your uh, telephone number as well, we just want to reach out and offer you some support, some encouragement, and celebrate with you. So please do that right now. Just grab your phone and, and uh, write us uh, and send us an email at hello at localgr.org so that we can connect. Uh, friends that have been following Jesus for years, uh, it's been one of the hardest, weirdest seasons, uh, at least for me, and I've been following him for a long time, and I guess for you as well. Uh, We have a what-now question that we need to answer also. It's a pretty simple question, uh, but are we going to live with fear or are we going to live with faith? Uh, Even when the disciples couldn't believe it, they're like, oh, I don't even know if I can believe this. They had joy and amazement. Friends, I want us to be people who actually live with the joy and amazement of Easter. Uh, The Apostle Paul experienced that same joy and amazement when he met Jesus a couple of months or years later After this event happened and and it transformed his life. And he said this For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Only a relationship with Jesus, where there is a God who has actually conquered death and therefore conquered fear, can we say that? But friends, when we know the resurrection is real and true, we don't have to fear death anymore. Now, I'm not saying go out and be stupid, all right? Do all the things that the governor's telling us to do. We're going to social distance. We're going to stay at home, all that stuff. But we don't have to be afraid. So we can serve others in a way that doesn't make sense. We can give away our lives. We can give away our resources to help others in need. Because for us to live, well, that's Christ. We're going to do whatever Jesus did. And if we die, hey, That just means I get to be with Jesus perfectly in heaven for eternity. We want to be that kind of a people. So let's move in. That's our what now question. That's our what now to live our lives, to spend our lives on behalf of others for the sake of Jesus. And that's the reminder, the beautiful truth of Easter. The lions don't win. Hope is real. And it's a hope that will not disappoint us. And this life is not all that there is. Friends, happy Resurrection Day. Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. Have a great rest of your Easter. We'll see you next Sunday, same time, same place, 10 a.m. You'll be there. I'll be there. Love you. We'll see you guys soon.